The Bob Murphy Show, episode 159. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, on this episode, I'm going to be talking with Gregory Gordon, and we're going to be just working through some issues that I've been thinking a lot about myself. So there's no real agenda. It's not like I had the conclusions already set and want to just communicate them to you. We really are just having a conversation and trying to work through some stuff. So specifically, Gregory had written an article for Mises.org talking about the left and right and how that relates to libertarianism. And like I say, it just intersected with a lot of stuff in particular. Some of you may have heard of Michael Malice's test that I think is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but you never know with that guy, where he says... Uh, if you ask a person a question and say, are some people better than others, someone who's from the right will say yes, and someone from the left will give you a speech. And then so Malice says, this is a surefire way of separating those who are on the left and the right. And so Gregor and I talk about that stuff. A little bit about his background. Gregory Gordon works as a geoscientist in the petroleum industry, and he is a lecturer in the California State University system. He earned his PhD in geology from the Colorado School of Mines. In addition to applied science and the philosophy of science, he has interests in politics, political philosophy, American history, and Austrian economics. Gregory has written articles for Mises.org, The Libertarian Republic, American Thinker, and various geological journals and publications. He lives in California with his wife and four children. And his Twitter handle is at Gregory S. Gordon. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Gregory Gordon on the left and right and libertarianism. Well, Greg, welcome to the Bob Murphy Show. Thanks very much, Bob. Glad to be here. So as I talk to the listeners in my formal introduction that you haven't heard yet, we're going to be going through this Mises.org article that you wrote that um, as I was chatting with you before the interview started, you hit like at least three separate things that I'd been musing about. And so I thought this was a great opportunity just to flesh that stuff out uh, talking with you. But before we dive into that, can you just give some brief background about your educational path and like how how did you come to get into this wacky world of austro-libertarianism? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up between California and Texas. Um, I'm a Californian now, living back here in California's Central Valley. And my uh, my educational background is in earth sciences, geology. And I work as an applied geoscientist in the oil and energy industry. And um, that's a whole other issue that, you know, it's a fascinating issue with fracking and economics and, and what's going on here in California. But I've always been interested in politics, political philosophy. You know, my whole family's been into that sort of thing. And I've always been a, a free marketeer and a, a capitalist at heart. And I kind of got drawn into the Austrian world. My interest there really started with, I think, Hayek, who's very accessible, I believe, to people more on the right, people coming from uh, the conservative realm. Hayek is a great communicator and kind of um, kind of the intro pill into Austro-libertarianism. And then, of course, you know, you can get into into everything, Mises, and then, of course, Rothbard. And and for for some, for many, like me, um, I've, I have a great interest in, in Hoppe. 
So I've always been interested in politics and political philosophy in particular. And from time to time, I write articles, um, not only in, in geosciences, but also in politics, sometimes current events and, and that sort of thing here and there. I'm trying to put one together right now, actually, on Lockean Proviso and the Blockian Proviso and natural resources, public property, mm-hmm. public property as such. But um, at one point in time, I had a, a small radio show on the weekends here in the Central Valley. That was fun while it lasted. And I've always kind of dabbled here and there. But I try to I try to follow things pretty closely. And, um, you know, I, like many, maybe in our community or this part of the world, I've been watching the Libertarian Capital L Party mm-hmm. um, for the past long while. And I've been looking at electoral politics. You know, I follow the red versus blue stuff as well. And I had some thoughts about that. You know, a lot of great discussions recently on uh, several of the podcasts that I enjoy listening to. And I thought, you know, here, here's maybe something where I could kind of throw my hat into the ring, add a couple of ideas. Okay, great. Um, incidentally, I don't know, are you aware of who B- Rob Bradley is? Does that name mean anything to you? I don't know Rob Bradley. Okay, yeah. So he, I'll, I'll send you the link after the show. And, and folks, just so you know, too, uh, he was on, I interviewed him on the Bob Murphy show. I, I don't remember the episode number off the top of my head, but he was one, was one of the few people that got a PhD with Rothbard as his dissertation chair. R- Rob oh. wasn't at UNLV. At UNLV? He, no, he was somewhere else, but like okay. Rob's program allowed you to have somebody else be your chair. Okay. And it was, it was on um, like, Oil economics, oil and natural gas, and with a focus on the the interventions in the 1970s. But Rob sure. also has yeah. developed a, a, an Austrian theory of resource ship, like things like you know, if there's a deposit of oil underground that covers several people's land, you know, how do they determine? And one guy drills down and he drains it all as he's stealing from his neighbor. That kind of stuff. Right. And Rob right. came up with a. Right with a theory for that. So anyway, I'll send you that stuff in case. No, I'd love to see that. That's fascinating. I think there's a lot of fertile ground there and particularly in California with Mm -hmm. with what's going on right now in Sacramento with Newsom and everything. Yes, definitely. Okay. So, but the focus of today's talk or interview is your recent article at Mises.org, why there's a left-right divide among libertarians. Of course, folks, so this is BobMurphyShow.com slash 159. We'll give you links to this article and other things we might touch upon. And I'm not going to like just read the whole thing and have you comment on, <laughs> on sex. Even though I actually, Greg, just so you know, like, cause your thing is so succinct and spot on to the things I wanted to discuss. I actually considered Thank you. just going through and like reading a few paragraphs and then saying discuss. And then we go, but cause I want to miss the, but anyway, that I think that would get tedious for the listener who can't see it, but let me just read the f- opening bit and then we'll jump in. So this is your article. Amid the sociocultural convulsions and boutique displays of urban anarcho-tyranny that have taken place in America in recent months, there's been renewed discussion within certain circles of the liberty movement about how appropriate it is for libertarians and their intellectual brethren to self-identify as right-wing or left-wing. While libertarianism itself, which merely requires adherence to the non-aggression principle, or NAP, in a desire to minimize or abolish state power, need not be considered right-wing or left-wing political philosophy, I contend, from a decidedly right-wing perspective, that individual libertarians are almost certainly on the right or on the left. Okay, so let me just summarize. So you're saying there, as I take it, that it's true libertarianism per se, like the definition of what does it mean to be a libertarian in your book is simply endorsement of the non-aggression principle, which I guess for newcomers, let's say it is immoral to initiate force or fraud against someone else. And so 
you're saying that's the definition, but yet you're saying in practice, they're, if I, you, you show me someone who calls him or herself a libertarian, and I bet you that person's clearly either on the right or on the left or coming out of that tradition. Correct. Okay. And that's the reason, right. yeah, absolutely. And, and just to, one more thing, and then, and then I, I will stop talking. Partly why you're stressing that is because it's fashionable among certain self-identified libertarians to say, oh, we're above that. You know, oh yeah, the 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 rabble out there, the idiots who watch CNN and Fox, they sort themselves according to left versus right. But we libertarians are, are beyond that. We know that there isn't a left left Above right the spectrum. Fray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and then right, absolutely. And in fact, okay, so go, so go ahead. I'll, that's a, enough of an intro. So do you want to expound on that? Sure, we can we can talk to that first point. I think a lot of people that we probably, uh, I would imagine, we both respect quite a bit. I'm thinking even uh, folks like Walter Block and whatnot. I believe their position, uh, and I want to do it justice, but I think they think of libertarianism as perhaps the third leg of the stool. I've heard that, you know, thrown around with lots of mm -hmm. people, not just Dr. Block. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that's, that is um, definitely one, one area where I would, I would kind of disagree. And I think that what we have to do is look at libertarianism broadly as an overarching but relatively thin philosophy. Libertarianism itself is a relatively limited philosophy. When we look at individuals, they have certain ideas about morality, about ethics, natural rights, um, the relationship between the state and civil society. And really, again, if we kind of sublimate or we come back out to the, the shell or the outer boundary of libertarianism, it really, it really, in my view, is more concerned with what is the nature of the state, that there should either be no state or a very, very minimal government, right? And then the non-aggression principle. And if we kind of set those, or if we agree that those are the, the defining kind of base level requirements for defining libertarianism, then you can have a broad variety of different views and ethical worldviews, even metaphysical worldviews within libertarianism. So I think it's a relatively limited philosophy Certain as far as ethics, it definitely is ethically, I would argue, mm -hmm. um, because when people try to apply libertarianism to their own lives, it can be preposterous. You know, we don't we don't run our households, I would imagine, many of us um, as a libertarian, you know, or many of us even as egalitarians. But maybe that's a separate issue within our households. Um, libertarianism really, as I see it, in my view, what I argue for is that it really only applies to the state or external coercive power of government. And hence, it's not sufficient to describe everything that happens uh, within human society, civil society, and our lives, um, certainly with our ethics, metaphysics, and what have you. And um, again, I think some people do want to see it as it's another player in the game. There's the mm -hmm. right, there's the left, and there's this new, there's this new portion of a, uh, a political quadrant or political compass and that's libertarianism. It's, it's either above the fray or it's just separate and distinct mm -hmm. from the fray. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would disagree. And I kind of went into that a little bit in this, um, in this broad article. Okay, so this, one thing you just said there almost as an offhand remark, but I want to just see if we have an actual disagreement about how we use the term or when you were saying you, don't, you wouldn't run your household and you think a lot of the listeners wouldn't in, according to a libertarian method, right? Sure. Okay. So is, um, but I, at the same time, I don't think you, you believe that, oh, so when, when like, you know, your kid mouths off and you say, okay, go to your room, that you're initiating aggression against your kid, 
right? Or that you're violating property rights. Sure, sure. I guess all I'm saying is that um, in in my household, mm-hmm. personally, we run it uh, maybe a little bit more what what people might tongue in cheek say, oh, that's more of a socialistic or a paternalistic or maternalistic right. uh, society right. that the Gordon household is because mm-hmm. I care for my children. It is um, to a certain extent from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs mm-hmm. with with small children, with infants and your children that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring them into your home. You you either adopt or have children and whatnot, and, and you care for them within your house. So certainly we don't apply or some of us don't apply libertarian principles to even within the household, you know, doing chores, domestic mm-hmm. work, um, you know, everyone either paying rent or, or, or that sort of thing. Um, so I, I guess I'm just drawing the distinction that not involving the non-aggression principle so much, but within our homes, we we have very different ethical um, systems. You know, that libertarian libertarianism itself is best applied to uh, governmental relations, societal relations. Is mm-hmm. is my position? Okay, uh, let me just push one more time, just because I want. Since we are talking about like the definition and, and how people use it, and whatever. That's why I just want to make sure we're clear on how we're using it. So. The way I would typically use these terms is I would say somebody who, you know, gives their 10-year-old food even though the kid didn't do any chores, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, that's actually communism. I would say, no, that's that's consistent with libertarianism and private property because I'm the owner and I can go ahead and do So I guess I think maybe sure. the way I would get it, what you're – and not the ones right or wrong, but just so the listeners don't get confused about, you know, at least where I'm coming – is I would say libertarianism – is a pretty weak criterion. Like that doesn't give you everything you need. So like, I'm a Christian libertarian ethics is not enough for me to know how to live my life. So it's a, it's a bare minimum. Like, yeah, I shouldn't go initiate aggression, but I need to know more than that. I need to know the sermon on the Mount to know what should I go do? Libertarianism is kind of just like a constraint and you can't do this. Sure. Absolutely. And okay. and just to be clear here too, yeah. <laughs> from in that regard to that offhand comment, I don't run my household as some kind of communistic uh, authoritarian <laughs> regime. Right, um, right. But yeah, exactly. It's Libertarianism is very important, certainly, but it's not sufficient um, yeah, okay. in, in my view mm-hmm. um, as a Christian as, as well as a Catholic. Okay, so what what is wrong with the – let's do it this way. Why don't you explain – what do you mean? So you someone's a libertarian, self-identified – Sure. And even if they say, oh, no, we're above the fr-, – because it's funny. Like with Walter Block, I mean, I think most people would say he's clearly from the right. Like just listen listen to him give a talk. He's totally from the right. You know, he, sure. he relishes offending people, like using risque example Correct. thought experiments to startle people. And, and, of course, you know, he's for multi-billionaires, you know, existing side by side with people of modest means and, and so on. So, oh, he's, he's a right winger. Sure. Um he thinks people can voluntarily – does he think people can voluntarily sell themselves into slavery? I think that's his position. I know he argues with people. I can't remember which side he comes down. But He might in have any made event, that argument. Yeah. Yeah. But. So, okay. So, um, but then again, I, he's also with evictionism. So, he, he is he is tricky to, to put in a box. But right. Your the claim abortion, is, yeah, that's a fascinating mm-hmm. one as well, yeah. the abortion discussion. And, but go okay. ahead. So, so, you're saying in general you think people can be put sort of as either right wing or left wing – so can you just loosely speaking, how are, what do you mean by those terms? Sure. Um, so yes, libertarianism itself does not have to be right wing or left wing in my view. But when we get into the practical world of real life human beings, um, actual human beings moving around, you know, deciding upon things with human action, mm-hmm. interacting with uh, one another um, with scarce resources, when it all plays out, 
the way I see it is that that people still divide out on the right or on the left. And so what does that mean? Of course, these are very loaded terms. Um, you know, they, they began in the 18th century um, around the time of, of course, the French Revolution. They were literal descriptions. Are you sitting on the left side or the right side of the assembly and whatnot? And they really took off after that. But I think people use them in different ways. So for the point of the article and in the way that I would employ it is that being on the right side of things would imply nothing even politically yet. We don't even need to get into that. Certainly not red state, blue state politics. What it really implies is that you believe in natural hierarchies. Um, and what I mean by that is that natural hierarchies, hierarchies that arise in human society are not necessarily unjust and they're not necessarily to be squelched down and, and stamped out. Uh, certainly many on the right believe in some kind of objective natural order. Um, many, but not all, I want to be fair. Um, certainly there are natural rights libertarians, um, who believe that that rights are innate, the rights that we're born with, um, they're inherent to us. Now I realize that a lot of conservatives are those on the right, even Edward Burke and Burkeans might see natural rights as being, um, being prone to causing revolutions and upheaval in society that really forget about where the rights actually come from. And I don't know if they'd say forget about it, but they'd say that our rights are inherited as Englishmen or as Americans or whatnot. They're inherited through a tradition, whether it's common law or you know Magna Carta, constitutional allow allowances or what have you. Um, but none nonetheless, most on the right, I believe, do believe in some kind of um, objective moral order. Um, and again, there are some consequentialists and utilitarians, and, and I, I understand that. I respect their position. Um, Contrasting that with those on the left, um, the, as I see it, uh, there's much more of a value placed on egalitarianism. Uh, these days, we hear more about equity, fairness, um, even equal, equal opportunity to some extent, certainly equality of outcome and whatnot. And then also on the left, you know, it's okay to have society in a continual state of upheaval, up, upheaval, and um, I don't want to say chaos, but continual change and churn, because there's always this drive to uh, protect the rights of the oppressed, whoever that might be, and that might change at any given time. And we might have this discussion, this argument back and forth, this dialectic about what should be done, um, how these injustices should be reconciled or rectified. And um, that, that's a big part, I think, of being on the left. It's a, a drive to, to shake society up to get rid of these perceived injustices, injustices or imbalances of power. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And I think so, that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of a quick snapshot of how I see the differences between right. left and right in, in the article and whatnot. So while we're talking about that, let me just chime in. I don't want to forget this train of thought that tell me how you feel about this. I had thought for, and again, it's, it's not that I'm trying to, come to some conclusion on these things. I just think these are interesting topics and we'll just, you know, give fodder for the listeners to think about themselves. A while ago, I was trying to pin down, like, what is the fundamental difference between, because you're right, there clearly are, to me, it seems like, yeah, people are either on the right or on the left, or that's at least a useful dichotomy that captures a lot. And it seemed to me that one of the things, that the people on the right were more concerned about, like, the procedures and that we're doing things according to principle and the rules, like, like in other words, following the rules is the important thing. Whereas for the people on the left, the outcome was the important thing. And so, right. and, and, and not that I, it was, uh, it was a hundred percent of one versus the other. So like the people on the right, of course, 
would, you know, other things equal, they don't like people to be poor or whatever, but absolutely not. You can't take from rich people and give it to the poor people because that's, that's wrong. It's a violation of rights. And likewise, the people on the left, right. it's not that they don't care about property titles. You know, other things equal, they would prefer not to have to take money from people against their will. But hey, if somebody needs health care and you've got, a, you know, your six mansions over there and you don't want to voluntarily give it to them, well, sorry. But that, that in my book, the guy getting health care trumps, you know, you not having your property rights, your sacrosanct property rights violated. And so to me, that that would seem to be an important distinction in terms just like the rhetoric and how they argue about stuff. You know, the left just points, look, all these people we can help. And the right's like, no, look, you know, look at, look, there's the constitution or there's, you know, that's, that's my money or, you know, the, the government's stealing your stuff. Right. And it's almost this distinction between deontological or natural rights type libertarianism, where mm-hmm. I think um, more with deontology, it's more about following those rules that you mentioned. It's about ethics being derived from these rules. Um, Christians would say that that comes from the Bible, that comes from the Word of God. Um, if you're Catholic, also from the teachings of the church or whatnot. But that's that's some kind of deontological-based uh, natural rights libertarianism versus, I think, more often on the left, they tend to be uh, perhaps more pragmatic in their view. And I don't want to even – I won't even go to assigning ill will at all. I think, like you're saying, many times there's this um, – there's this drive to kind of even things out for the sake of fairness or for the sake of some kind of cosmic justice or whatnot, or the whole system, uh, it's racist. Well, if you have the term systemic racism, if the, that implies system, you know, the system has to be changed or torn down. If there's racism pervading all of us, like some kind of transcendental oversoul, it's just in all of us and it's in the system, then that implies, that almost requires that something must be done. There's got to be some upheaval. There's got to be some churn um, because that must be rectified. And that's that's particularly true, again, if you don't believe that rights are innate or that rights are natural. If you believe more in positive rights, and I, I think that many on the left do believe much more in positive civil rights than they're concerned with natural rights. Some of them, many of them don't think that natural rights exist at all, right? Mm-hmm. But um, if you don't believe in natural rights, then it's completely okay. It's completely acceptable um, to balance out property, to take some from from this person and give it to that person or whatnot, or to regulate uh, guns and self-defense and whatnot. Um, If these are not natural and innate, then of course the state has a place to come in and and start regulating things and should to a certain extent, according to those beliefs. Mm -hmm. But and, And I think that we're seeing a lot of this tension in libertarianism, um, in the capital L, you know, the actual party, the LP, I think we're seeing this because people are kind of scratching their heads and saying, well, okay, there is this tension. I think we're all seeing it. I've heard lots of people have these discussions, but why? Because we're all libertarians, right? Mm-hmm. Even lowercase l, libertarians. And I, I'm, all, I'm constantly kind of bemused by this because it's like, well, isn't this obvious? The reason that there is this tension the reason that half of you know libertarians are always rolling their eyes at the other half is because many of them are on the right and they're saying um, and they're seeing what what uh, either Joe Jorgensen is tweeting about or what Gary Johnson's saying in a presidential debate, you know, or you've got to force this person to bake this cake, you know, and preposterous examples. You know, mm-hmm. half of libertarianism is saying, "What? What are you talking about?" And the other half is saying, well, of course, this makes good sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's kind of funny how um, libertarians or some libertarians say, I don't know where this tension's coming from. It, you know, I look at that and I say, that's kind of the, the natural world. That's the left and the right. 
You know, that's we're seeing it manifest itself. We don't even have to call it such. And I know some people will disagree with this, but that's that's the attention that I'm seeing um, within the the LP currently. Right, and that, I think that dovetails nicely with the point I was making that even among left libertarians and right libertarians, the emphasis on like, you know, what I'm doing with my political activism or philosophy is, you know, if you're on the left, it's helping traditionally disadvantaged groups, like the, you know, the the people out there that are getting screwed by the system, you know, and it could be because of police brutality, you know, not just like some wishy-washy sure. systemic race, yeah. but no, like if the cops are going around beating people up or whatever, or the public schools are horrible in the inner cities, like as a libertarian, you can acknowledge that and say, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not good. Uh, and that, you know, that, and that has disproportionate or disparate impacts and so forth. And if Absolutely. You come, if, if you say, if that's what you mean by systemic racism, all right. But, um, but yeah, things like when, like when I don't know if you remember, Greg, when when Rand Paul got in trouble a while ago uh, for talking about the like the, they were backing him into a corner, saying, you know, would you have voted for the civil rights uh, legislation? And you know, and he was he was he didn't want to say no, but yet he couldn't say yeah because that was the deal. And so like so to right libertarians, it's like yeah, the the legislation's clearly illegitimate. You can't you know interfere with property owners. What are you talking about? You you can't you know, force a business owner to accept customers or employees that they don't want. Like, and yeah, and if the person's a bigot, okay, well, it's not illegal. You know, <laughs> you can't take someone's property just because they're you don't like their views. And yet to the people on the left, they were just horrified. Like, are you kidding me? This is the hill we're going to die on. We're going to go to the barricades talking about how this, you know, are you, you know, so anyway, I, so I could see their perspective, you know, because I'm, I grew up as a normal American and I understand how, inconceivable that sounds like what a troglodyte you're not for the civil rights legislation of the 60s are you out of your mind but sure so so again just like showing the, di the different focus and and you know like the commitment to no this is the principle and what are you talking about um absolutely so and that some rights mm -hmm. are are inviolable and even mm -hmm. when even when it might sound i don't want to say preposterous but when it might sound you know like whoa what are you talking about there but, you know, I think certainly a, a right libertarian or many libertarians would say, mm -hmm. no, people have the freedom of association. People have free speech. Uh, people have property rights, you know, and I know that mm -hmm. at the end end stage, um, Hoppe and others really boiled everything down or most things down to property rights. And I think that's it's a nice heuristic that makes a lot of sense. But um, yeah. many, many libertarians would say, no, we've got to really protect this person's freedom of association, even if it's um, the people with views that we find abhorrent or right. um, outlandish or, yep. you know, racist or unjust or whatnot. And just as an offshoot of that, like in our right now with the debates, like it, it's appalling to me how many people when it comes to things like mask mandates think the issue is, well, let's go consult the science. When it's like, no, I don't care what the science says. You can't force businesses to have right. certain policy. And also there's utilitarian reasons too that I've argued. If you left it up to stores, sure. the few stores in your area that did have a mask policy, the people there would believe in masks and wear them properly. And you know, right. <laughs> whereas right now right. it's the worst of both worlds that, you know, um, you're, you, if you are someone who wants to really be careful and have a mask on, you're forced to shop with people who think it's stupid and they just, you know, put something on and don't even cover their nose. Um, right. Yeah. And instead of forcing the mandate on everybody, you know, mm -hmm. versus just a voluntaristic system would be, well, if you're higher risk or have some medical situation or whatnot, please stay home. We encourage that. That's your personal choice. Mm -hmm. But that's not the world we live in um, now in 2020 America. It's right. We're going to basically apply this mandate to everyone equally. Everyone's going to be punished and is going to stay at home for years on end mm -hmm. while the economy is destroyed. 
And also you touched on science there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a key thing. Um, even coming from the, uh, the Austro-Libertarian tradition, um, this, this worship of science drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hayek and others wrote about it, this scientism, yep. this idea, it's positivistic, you know, positivism that essentially to boil it down, all knowledge, all realistic or meaningful knowledge comes from empirical observation or comes from, from observations of the, the natural world, you know, uh, completely leaving behind a priori reasoning um, and just the faculty of of reason itself, deductive logic and whatnot. This has been something that kind of embedded its, itself in us or in uh, Western society, at least ever since the enlightenment or enlightenment, whichever side of things you come down mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But basically boiling everything down to these scientific principles where we can measure something and we can view and observe something and that those are the only truths known to man. And that is very much at odds with earlier Western traditions, certainly going back to um, classical times, the scholastics and whatnot. It's very much at odds with how the West um, had always perceived how we gain truth and knowledge about the world. And now we have many of our friends or, you know, other people, family members saying, well, science, we believe in science, you know, the little yard signs in right, this exactly. house. Yep. We believe that uh, science is real. And love is love and tautologies are tautologies or whatever this <laughs> stupid, you know, it's like a paragraph mm-hmm. long. Yeah, I've seen those. It's yeah. just, it's virtue signaling or whatnot. But the science question in and of itself, I think, is is very, uh, very important because we don't run, we don't run by scientific technocrats. That's not what we have. We're supposed to have a republic um, that Montesquieu and Jefferson wrote about and, um that's a whole other interesting topic uh, of the science running our lives, science telling us everything we need to know about ethics and morality and about the, the world in general. And I, I think, tell me if you disagree, the, the reason that is folded in and tends to be on the left where people trumpet. And just for the listeners, let's be clear, it's, it's not that we're admitting, oh yeah, our opponents do have science on their side and what we're saying is unscientific. No. It's just they, they hold it up the latest fad Whereas the, like as Hayek cautioned. So Hayek wasn't warning about science. He was warning about, as Greg said, no. scientism, like this elevation, this, uh, this unwarranted ele- elevation. And so I think it, it fits in because like central planners, what is the deal? They look at society and they say, this is dumb. There's injustice. This is irrational. We're really smart. We're much smarter than other people. Why don't we just re- redesign society from scratch? Right. And the so capital if, P planners, right? Yeah, so if you like have that kind of mentality- it makes sense that you would revere science because you would want to convince your audience that no, we humans look at what we can go to the moon. We can split the atom. We, you know, look at the computers we've built. Like look at how much our minds and if we use science, look at what we can do. So therefore, why don't we come up with a better social system too? Right. Exactly right. And as an applied scientist, I'm a big fan of science. I believe in it, mm-hmm. but I don't believe it, believe that it gives us all capital T truth about the universe. Right. Um, even coming out of the natural law tradition, we need to we can look at truths. We can learn objective things about the universe by employing scientific methods. Absolutely. We can we can learn even about if you're a Christian, we can learn bits about um, God's will, God's plan for the universe by looking at scientific concepts. Uh, absolutely. But there are other there are other truths in the world. Um, there are things that science cannot explain fully. And hence, we don't employ science to run our lives. Um, that's a very, it's a very hollow and uh, it's pragmatic philosophy at the end of things. Um, to smear your opponents, 
says, well, you don't believe science is real. Well, that's, that's just not true at all. Um, remember some of the horrors that science and the planners have given us. Um, not only eugenics, that's very scientistic. And I don't mean it's scientific, scientism, it's scientistic. Um, you know, even going back to the Enlightenment, some of those thinkers were, were um, racist in their own way, Voltaire um, and, and some of those folks. And um, so we want to be careful. You know, all that, that is scientific does not mean it's, it's good or, or uh, ethical or whatnot. But to be clear, we're not arguing against science. It's more the abuse of science or the worship of science as bringing all truth mm -hmm. to the human, uh, human realm. Right. And also just to continue on this, it's really Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted something out the other day that really I found obnoxious oh, along the lines of, you yeah. know, uh, for anti-vaxxers, climate deniers, anti-mask people and others who deny science, something like that and blah, 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 blah. And what was annoying is straw for man, each, each of those man. things, like if, you know, some mom who is anti, and I'm not here taking a stand on that one way there, but they don't say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't care what those Harvard MDs say, you know, I, I know vaccines are bad because I'm a witch or something. And, you know, my spidey sense, no, they will go and point to published literature and say, look, they did this study and this, sure. maybe they're wrong. Maybe it's, they don't know how to parse the, you know, medical journals and stuff, but right. they don't say, oh, you're using science to talk about vaccines. I'm going to use, you know, religion or so. That's not what they're doing. Right. And, and, right. and certainly in the climate change debate, they're also not throwing out, they're making scientific art and they're pointing to PhDs, you know, Richard Lindzen and what, sure. whatnot. So that it's really annoying how the people on the left will say, oh, we've got science and you've got nothing, you know. That right. It's, so. Right. And many of the proponents of scientism, even Neil deGrasse Tyson, Lawrence mm -hmm. Krauss, if you actually read what they're saying, beyond just the polemic screeds that they're throwing out all the time to just needle people, but they're not trained at all in, well, a priori reasoning or even argumentation. And so it's a constant stream of straw men and logical mm. fallacies and um, argumentation from authority. Well, I'm science. You know, it's been set up that way. They're on the altar. Mm -hmm. They're a scientist. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I can't be wrong. But the guy's embarrassingly wrong about things mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, people from the science, scientism realm, uh, look at Paul Ehrlich famously, he blew everything economically. And in terms of looking at, oh, there'll be famines in the 1980s and these planners, uh, you know, the practitioners of scientism, they think they've got the world all figured out. And then you compare their empirical results later. Oftentimes they're embarrassingly wrong, but it's too late. We've already gone way beyond, mm -hmm. um, proving them wrong or, having them address their own records right. and whatnot. And, and what's funny too is a lot of people say, well, you know, they raised important questions. And it's like, well, no, I thought the criterion for truth was empirical verification, according to you guys. And so it shouldn't... Yeah. It's like a Hegelian <laughs> dialectic, right? Well, they're raising questions. They don't have to be right. We're just having this given this take, right? It's the march of history. Yeah. It's baloney. Okay, so I want to circle back yeah. if I can, Greg. You mentioned that these labels... Uh, left, right, where that came from was the, the roughly, you know, the time of the French Revolution and, and where people in the, well, I guess, in the legislature or the assembly the sat. The assembly, yeah. Does, um, the, does a monarch have the absolute right to veto um, mm -hmm. legislation or whatnot? Um, or can the can the monarch be overridden, basically? Mm -hmm. And so here, this is, you know, my whatever high school AP history class kind of loose remembering. But generally speaking, the idea was, oh, so the people on the right were in favor of the tradition, the aristocracy, the the way things had been, the ancient the regime. Church. Yeah. Uh, whereas the people on the left were more of like rationalists and like, oh, the rights of, and this, this is why I was going to bring it because 
like Thomas Paine famously wrote the rights of man as a vindication of the French Revolution, sure. you know, using deductive reasoning, like looking at the essence of man and the nature of things in a, you know, a deistic framework. And, you know, why would we be subject to a hereditary monarchy? That's the stupidest thing, you know, how could you dream up a system like that? Yeah. Um, and so, and I, and, and, you know, that term liberal, so like Mises famously considered himself a liberal, like Guido Holzman's books, The Last Night of Liberalism. Sure. Um, you know, now we put the adjective, uh, you know, classical in classical. front of it to, to, so we don't get confused. Right. But I mean, back, back then, you know, if you or I were in France, like at the time of Bastiat or, you know, J.B. Sayre, whatever, we, I think our, at least economically, our views would be considered very liberal because we would say, oh, we get rid of the restrictions, let people, you know, enter whatever occupation of, you know, let imports come in and people would say, oh, sure. well, they'll lead to upheaval. Look at the establishment. Right. And we'd say, I don't care. That's, it's, it's the rights, you know, you don't have the right to keep out foreign grain or whatever. Sure. So, I guess, can you speak to like, what is it that, the, is it just that, oh, well, the left has gone so far now they've gone, the, the pendulum swung too far or is there something qualitatively different from the yeah. 19th to the 20th century? Yeah, and, and I think also we got to keep in mind that to, to a certain extent, these terms are relative, right? They're relative mm -hmm. to the society. If you and I were living in say modern day Iran or um, some, some ancient totalitarian society or whatnot, or if we were in Cuba, ironically, we would probably be considered to a certain extent, left-wingers. Maybe Cuba's mm -hmm. a muddled example because it has communism or whatnot. But if we lived in some kind of theocratic regime um, where where gays were you know, reportedly abused or jailed or whatnot, I think both you and I would probably be considered um, on the left because these mm -hmm. terms do have a little bit of, you know, it's relative to the society in which we live. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely valid. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. But I think bringing it back to the French Revolution, uh, we think about Rousseau, who is kind of like the intellectual godfather of, of that revolution. Well, he, he had very left-wing views about the nature of man, about human nature, um, and that humans really could reach their full potential. You know, they come out of a state of nature. It sounds familiar, right? It's kind of Lockean, mm -hmm. but they come out of this state of nature where maybe they were more in danger. They come together to form this uh, body politic. They come together, and when they come together, there's this general will, which is almost like the, the oversoul or the pervasive soul of the people coming together, which can draw out their creativity. It can draw out and create space for their liberties and whatnot. But when you look at it, maybe someone from, from the right would say, whoa, this is a misunderstanding of, of human nature as far as humans are generally good and they're corrupted by, their, um, by conditions that they find themselves in. So a lot of people on the right would have an issue with that. And then certainly on the modern right, they would say, you know, this kind of sounds like some um, totalitarian state, you know, coming together. We all have one general will when we come together. And that's that's where we can find our, our maximum flourishing. It's only together when we when we root out all of the old injustices. Um, and of course, this is why the, the Bolsheviks really were fascinated by the Jacobins and some of the the real uh, thought leaders or the, the foot soldiers of the later French Revolution, and even Rousseau mm -hmm. early on mm -hmm. before the revolution really got cranked up. So th the ideas of the state are very left-wing from that French Revolution time and from Rousseau's writing. And I think we can tie that back to being, yeah, that's left-wing because look at what they say about human nature. Look at what they say about man's relationship to, to other humans um, within this civil society. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to bring yourself into this massive state 
not for they're not they're not ascribing this to evil or nefarious reasons, but they're thinking that this is where you reach your maximum flourishing. And oftentimes we hear this from the from the communists, even the anarcho-communists, who say we mm-hmm. have to come together, we have to get rid of these injustices. We come together, um, workers unite as either syndicalists or in some kind of anarcho-communist society, and this is where we can find our maximum flourishing. And many of those on the libertarian left, I'll, I'll grant them this much. They're non-Marxists. They're non-Marxian views that they hold. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them, I think, even stemming from Proudhon um, and, and others, you know, Bakunin. Some of them ha- didn't even believe in like the labor theory of value. They thought that Rousseau uh, was a reactionary. They thought even that that Marx was a bit of a reactionary extent as well. So that's an interesting distinction when you get um, get into kind of anarcho-socialism, anarcho-ancoms, mm-hmm. anarcho-communism, and when they look back to Rousseau and the Bolsheviks and whatnot. Folks, let's take a break from the discussion for me to once again remind you that if you like what you hear, you like the guests that I bring on and the perspective I offer in the solo episodes, by all means, consider making a contribution. The more such contributions I get, the more episodes I can do per month just as a justification for using my scarce labor hours on this outlet that I love, but yet does not fully pay the bills. And so I can only do it part-time thus far. For details on how you can do that and all the special bonuses, depending on your level of contribution, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute. Let me just mention, if you've made a qualifying contribution and you're supposed to get let into the Facebook secret group, shh, it's a secret, and it's been more than two weeks since you've made the contribution and I haven't gotten back to you, that means I somehow missed the note in my inbox. And so don't be shy. Please get in touch and just let me know. Uh, Make sure that I get everybody in there who's supposed to be in there. Last thing I'll mention is whether you contribute or not, another way you can certainly help is subscribe to me on YouTube. And when you come across an episode that you realize some of your friends might be interested in or, you know, a coworker, and I'm going to be trying to make more episodes that are catering to someone who's not a true believer, as it were, then sharing the episodes with people like that is another great way for me to get the podcast out in front of more people. Thanks, everybody, for your support, and let's get back to the episode. Let me ask you this one. So you you had, um, you know, in the beginning, we talked about how a lot of libertarians want to be above the fray and say, oh, there's this left-right spectrum, but libertarianism isn't isn't on there. What what do you think, though, about, because um, I think what they're, what they're recoiling against, and I certainly used to do this as well until then, like I say, I realized, no, but there really is something to this left-right thing is when you'll see things, when people will say, oh yeah, like the far left is is uh, Joseph Stalin is, you know, pure communism. The far right is either fascism or Nazism and, you know, Adolf Hitler. And then, you know, reasonable sure. people are in between those two things, you know, and you can you can put Mitt Romney somewhere and you can put Nancy Pelosi. And right. So clearly... So Mitt Romney is a libertarian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or he's more libertarian than Hitler. Yeah. So... Right. So, I, I mean, I think it's that kind of mentality that the, the libertarians who say, oh, we reject this left-right spectrum thing are trying to, because if, if that's the deal, if, you know, the far left is, is Stalin and the far right is, is Hitler, you know, that sort of builds in statism as, as the natural, you know, subtext there. Sure. Well, is it more of a spectrum or perhaps it's poles? Um, and I realize that certain people are going to have different views. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. here trying to say you're a conservative in every way, you're a so-called mm-hmm. liberal or you're a righty or lefty, and that means mm-hmm. that's your tribe. And people have deviations. People have different thoughts, of course. They're all individuals, right? 
Um, but this idea of centrism too, I, I find it irritating. This is where I love, Ayn Rand has some great quote about those in the center or whatnot. And I'm, I won't try to, to quote it here. I'd butcher it, but it's typical Ayn Rand, right? You can see her kind of saying this with an angry, an angry scowl or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, those in the center, essentially that that's a non-ideology. That just means you're kind of like capping out or saying, I want to I want to average this bad out and that bad out, and here's where I'm at. I'm just in the middle. Centrism itself is like an anti-ideology, and that's not what libertarianism is by any stretch. Libertarianism Mm -hmm. is – these are very important ideas, and I think they're very useful ideas about limiting or in some cases abolishing the government, certainly, and then not aggressing upon the rights of other people. That's very important. That's very useful as a political uh, principle, but – Again, when you get down to the individuals within libertarianism, I think human beings just tend to have this natural affinity toward hierarchy or toward egalitarianism. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. I was just trying to kind of comment in the article as far as this is kind of how I see it. This is this is what I mm-hmm. see. But um, that doesn't mean there's any requirement for libertarians to say, I'm in this camp, you know, like right libertarianism incorporated or left libertarianism. Right. But we right. see it. I, I, I mean – we see it with Ron Paul supporters and and the paleo libertarians uh, of of yesterday and kind of some of them today. Um, a lot of anarcho capitalists, as I mentioned, many of them are going to be more on the right because to really defend private property, where do those rights come from? If private property is just granted by a bunch of people in some assembly or in some government building, well, then it means nothing. It's just open to being overturned at the next revolution, the next war. So to really be a propertarian. Or, you know, many of the great Ron Paul supporters um, and, of course, a lot of ANCAPs, many of them, when they dig down, they're going to find that this absolute right to private property and hence free association and protecting your own body and your person mm-hmm. and your land. Where does that come from? Where do you get that right? And you can we can say, well, it's just inherited. I, I don't know where it comes from, you know, almost like kind of like a Bertrand Russell explanation for how the universe came about or something. It's like, we mm-hmm. don't know. It's just here. It just is. Okay, that's fine. And um, I have a lot of friends and much respect for the Burkeans, certainly. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, to really defend private property, where do those rights come from? They have to be innate. Just like if you crash on some deserted island in the middle of the Pacific, you have the right to go out and acquire property, to mix your labor with the land, to collect coconuts, to build a little lean-to or shed. You don't Mm -hmm. have to ask for that right. That is innate. Right. That's that's an inborn human right. That's that's what I argue. It's a natural right. Yeah. 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 And it's so I think, yeah, I agree with that. And what's interesting, too, is I was just looking up to see if I could get a good example. So, folks, again, I'll put these links at bobmurphyshow.com slash 159. I'm sure you've seen, Greg, where instead of just having the the left right spectrum, it's a 2D, you know, political map or compass or spectrum. I guess it'd be spectra. And sure where they'll have like, oh yeah, left versus right, you know, in terms of the x-axis, but then the y-axis, the top is like authoritarian and the bottom is libertarian. Sure. And so the idea being that, yeah, you can, so what's what's interesting, and I imagine if you, the people who say, oh, we're above the left, right, you know, we're libertarians, that's probably, and you know, this idea that it's either the far left is communism and the far right is is Hitler, and, and they think that that's wrong, and they they would probably endorse that 2D thing. But even there, that 2D compass isn't saying there's no such thing as left versus right. It's just saying that's not the only information you would need about somebody. Yes. 
Right. And, and you could plot it into a 3D compass or I guess uh, 4D, you know, MAGA chessboard if you wanted to or whatnot. Right. <laughs> but I, I guess this is the part of the uh, discussion where we need to cue the boomer con comment. Well, you know, uh, Hitler was a socialist, you know, and right, that's absolutely right. true. Mussolini, when he was younger, was a socialist. And then they just kind of deviated out and wanted more state control of industry. And um, they mixed in nationalism and whatnot. And of course, we can we can uh, mention all that. And that's true. Um, so to put Hitler on the right, I guess people do that just because there's some kind of um, nationalistic element to that. A lot mm-hmm. of that was smearing, you know, the fascist smear came from international communists, you know, international Marxists and workers of the world. And they wanted to distance themselves from people whose economic views really were not that different. I mean, they were mm-hmm. all against capitalist exploitation of the worker and they all wanted these wonderful progressive sounding um, plans, you know, for healthcare and shortening the work week and banding together in unions or trade associations or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. The economic views are really, they're coming out of the same tree. Then they just branch off a little bit in terms of, do we want an international revolution, which that kind of failed, that that failed miserably, actually. And then, or do we want this more nationalistic, um, mm-hmm. you know, view of things? And in the case of the Nazis, it horrifically turned into being mixed with racism and it was a disaster ending in genocide, of course, um, mm-hmm. injustice all around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, you said something a minute ago about polls and I'm wondering if, are you familiar with Tom Woods's? cause he, there's an episode, I'll, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll, I'll go find it folks though. And then link to it where he has Paul Gottfried on and he, and Tom said, I've, I've rethought this. He said, I'm, I no longer believe in the, in the left, right spectrum. And he said, I believe that there's the left and the right, but his, what he was realizing he had been using without thinking it through was that term spectrum. And he was saying, okay. that's the problem. That he's saying, no, you're on the left or you're on the right, but there's not a spectrum. In other words, it's not that there's a bunch of people halfway in between them, that you're, you're basically one or the other, or that that's a useful dichotomy to sort people by. Okay, yeah, that's. I should credit uh, Paul. I've read his book, The Conservative Movement, which no, no, sorry, is fascinating. Tom, and, sorry, Tom was saying oh, that, that was to Paul, okay, and, and then okay. Paul agreed. Okay, like said, so, yeah, I, but but it was Tom was the one who brought that up to, to say, yeah. you know, I've been rethinking, and you know, I think I would generally agree with that. I mean, there are certainly deviations, of course, but to have this beautiful, nice, oversimplified spectrum, you know, right. and we can use it as a heuristic, you know, or a little bit of just a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a tool. But um, yeah, I think nowadays it's kind of more like, well, are you more more on this pole or are you more toward that pole? Again, centrism is nothing. Centrism is Mitt Romney slightly over the line and Hillary Clinton, you know, or I think it's Tom Woods that has a great line that no matter what you do, who you vote for, you always end up with John McCain, you know, and yeah. mm-hmm. that's right in the middle. It's like a lack of ideology in, in, to a certain extent. The other thing I might, I might add, Bob, um, mm-hmm. is that I didn't go here with the article or whatever, cause I didn't want to be advocating necessarily, but I think with a lot of the frustrations that I've been seeing with the current Libertarian Party, that might stem from, in part, and not everyone's going to like this, but I think the Libertarian Party is missing an opportunity to grow itself because they're kind of playing 50 over here, 50 over there, you know, or six, six on one hand, half a dozen on the other with this, trying to pretend they're the centrist or third, third leg of the stool. I think Libertarians need to be realistic about who their natural allies are in capital L libertarians. They need to look at who has had the most success in growing this movement, who's brought in the most converts, and where did those converts come from? I would argue, and I think many would argue, that it's been Ron Paul. I mean, 
today, you know, 12 years beyond the 2008 movement really got got cranked up with that presidential election. Many, many people are still saying, you know, I came into this movement uh, because Ron Paul and his message and whatnot. Many of those people did. And um, I always liked Ron Paul. It took me a little bit longer on the interventionism, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, interventionism abroad and whatnot. Um, but if you look at who's really had success in growing the liberty movement, it's Ron Paul mixing over or crossing over with the Tea Party and bringing in conservatives. Because I'd argue that every conservative, almost every conservative, really before the Trump movement, but every conservative is a total capitalist or claims to love the free market. And I really believe that they do love the free market, even though that's not always realized. And every conservative believes in small government and individual rights. But when you take those to their logical extent, those conservatives are going to end up more as libertarians. So I think there's a natural allyship uh, there that is not being exploited at all. And exploited is maybe a bad word. Um, It's a bad way to put it, but maybe taken advantage of and really used to grow the movement. I think a lot of times libertarians say, oh, yeah, those troglodytes, they're just Republicans or conservatives or, you know, boomer cons and this and that. That's fine. We can all rib each other a little bit and ingest. But if we're actually serious about having some success and not just having these silly conventions where there are naked guys running around and people are wearing weird costumes and, you know, we become a parody. Um, many libertarians are a parody of themselves. I think they need to look at pragmatic solutions. How do you grow the movement? And we need to bring on board and welcome on board um, people from from the right, certainly Tea Party conservatives, small government conservatives, and look at people like Mike Lee and, um, and of course, even Rand Paul or other supporters even of Ted Cruz. You, know, you bring them in and have a coalition. That's what I'd argue for, at least um, mm-hmm. from a practical perspective. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes there's too much of this sitting on either sides of the fence and you know, almost wanting to be these good little social justice warriors or whatever. We're the Committee on Public Safety, you know, sitting over here, um, you know, looking at the riots, the racial unrest and everything that's been going on. And I think that's not helpful to pretend, you know, we like we like some of their ideas. We like some of these ideas and to kind of play it right down the middle. It'll be three percent, four percent of the total vote for years and years unless there's a better strategy that's developed. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would that's what I'd kind of argue for um, making more um, more overtures and reaching out more to certain groups that are open to the to the message to the liberty message. I think having a disdain for naked guys running around the party's convention is a very right wing comment from you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to be uh, so intolerant <laughs> or whatnot. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that partly to be funny, but also that is a good example. You know what I mean? Like, if, like, do you think that's a good look or not? Or people like, no, it's it's funny, haha. And if you're uptight about that, then we don't want you anyway. Like, a left libertarian sure. would say that. You know, yes, that's what's fair funny. enough. You know, guilty uh-huh. as charged. Um, can, by the way, I had earlier said you want to go, but can I keep you another 20 minutes? Is that all right? Yeah, schedule? yeah, sure. Okay, all right, yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah, as long as my stuff. internet connection hangs in there, I'm good. Okay, great, great. Um, by the way, just for the listeners who don't, they probably picked it up, but when Greg's saying capital L versus small L, like the capital L means libertarian party and small L just means like the philosophy. Um, have you, have you heard Greg, uh, Michael Malice's, I, I think I'm getting this right where he'll say, um, his, his test for what, whether you're left wing or right wing and I think it goes something like he'll, I like, have like asks. So I'll say what I think I remember being, and then you tell me if, if I'm getting it wrong. He'll say to someone uh, is the test, ask the person, are some people better than others? If the person says, yes, they're right wing. If they give you a speech, then they're left wing. 
Yes, I've heard some formulation yeah. of that um, listening to to Michael Malice. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so is it, so do you do you like does that line up with what you were saying about the the hierarchy, or do, or do you think that that's too glib? Or I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just curious what your take is on that. Sure. No, and I, I think Michael Malice is um, hilarious and very entertaining, and I think it's maybe a little tongue in cheek, but probably mm-hmm. effective. So you know what would probably happen is someone on the right would say um, yes. Let me tell you why, you know, and I, I don't think that would be the speech maybe uh, maybe that Michael was referring to. But, yeah, I would agree when when you ask that question, you are going to get this long speech and it's not an elevator speech from someone who's more coming from the left or a social justice warrior or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a helpful, a helpful tool. Yeah. OK, so, so let me. So I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And and that's why I thought this would be a good, you know, to bring it up in the context of your article on this stuff. Um I'm not sure how I, because it's, I agree with you that yes, there's natural hierarchies and the people on the right agree with that. And and Jordan Peterson does a great job with that where, you know, people will complain about the, you know, white supremacy or this or the the patriarchy and whatever. And and Peterson will say, obviously I'm putting words in his mouth and he says it more eloquent, but like what they've identified is that there are hierarchies and yes, there are, but that's not the same thing as establishing that there's, you know, injustice out there. That you know, this is a you know normal thing, and he famously like looks at lobsters and whatever, and, and people <laughs> think that's goofy. And crustacean communities, right? Yes, right. yeah. And to 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 get the, there, and so clearly, yeah. I mean, among you know mathematicians, there's a hierarchy, you know, and and we can't even, you know, you and I can't tell the difference between the tenth best mathematician in the world and the hundredth best, but they can. Right. You know, those those mathematicians can know who the different, you know, how to sort them and absolutely. so on. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that's, and that's in any field. But the, my concern with with Malice's fra- framing and the reason, like, so if he asked me, I, w- I would give him a speech and he'd say, aha, you're a left winger. And I would say, no, that's just showing your quiz doesn't work. <laughs> and right. he would say, no, it always works. And it's never been wrong. And that's, he's just asserting that. But because as a Christian, I would say, well, what, what do you mean? So different people are better at certain things. So yeah, that guy's better at math. This right. person's a better chess player. Dave Smith is a better comedian than me. I'm a better economist than he is. Is he a better? And so ultimately I was pushing it through and saying, well, the only non-arbitrary criterion is, or is to say like in the eyes of God, at which point I would say, no, I'm not better than anybody else. And what was interesting is when Tom Woods had Paul Gottfried on and they brought up Malice's thing, yeah. they both agreed with it. And Godfrey, like, sort of as an offhand, said, I mean, except maybe, like, you know, in terms of, of a Christian perspective, like in the eyes of God or something. And I would say, but, right. but as a Christian, isn't that the most important stance? You know, you know what I mean? In other words, the, the most important lens through which to, to judge this. So anyway, I'm not really coming down one way, but those are some of the things that when I, when I consider what his, his little uh, thought experiment yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that's really where equality comes from, um, at least in my opinion. It's, again, natural rights coming through from a from a creator, from, from God. Um, if that's not the source of equality, um, or if that's not how things actually work in the universe, why equality then? You know, this is what I always ask the left, like, so I have to live under some, you know, communist dictatorship? I have to live under your state, Rousseau, or whatever you're trying to get me to go into? Why? Just because it's a consensus? No, I don't sign the contract. I'm not in on your consensus. Tell me mm-hmm. why I have to believe this. Why is everyone equal? Well, everyone's equal in the eyes of God because Christians and many, many believing people would believe that um, mankind was created in God's image and likeness. Without that, where's the equality? There's, there's the drive to force equality. And that's where some of the worst schemes that mankind has ever devised have come about. 
you know, we're going to we're going to take money from these people, those farmers. You got to go take it back from them, the land and do this and that. All these communistic schemes and socialistic schemes with mm-hmm. forced equality have led to some terrible genocides and injustices and whatnot. And as you know, all too well, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I like I like Malice's um, that little heuristic. Um, maybe it's a little bit tongue in cheek. And I can definitely say. Yes, some people are better than others, you know, knowing in my mind, I'm not going to give them a speech, but it's, yeah, at basketball um, or or at this or with innate abilities or, or whatever it might be. Um, some people are more virtuous than others. I mean, you can tie this back to even virtue ethics and whatnot, going back to Aristotle, uh, Nicomachean ethics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, what muscles do you choose to flex? You know, acting virtuously, mm-hmm. that's like flexing a muscle for sure. Right, and um, right. some people are better that, at that than others. Um, mm-hmm. But as a Christian, I do believe, you know, all people are created in the image and likeness of God. And that's a source of equality right there. Beyond that, you know, I, I want equality under the law because I don't want the law to favor one group over another. Um, you know, as, as really someone who's probably qualified as a minarchist, you know, I want a very, mm-hmm. very small state, a night watchman state to take care of X, Y and Z but nothing else other than X, Y, and Z. That's where civil society comes in. And it's, it's really important too to specify it that way because like your views on what type of equality is important, like yeah, equality before the law, like, oh, you get accused of a crime. No, you're gonna, you know, you have the right to counsel and so forth. You know, you, you should have a defense. Even right. though we, we saw him do it on tape, you know, everybody, the whole communities would swear up and down, this guy's guilty. I don't care, he gets a trial. Right. And, you know, so why? And say because of his dignity as a human being, not because right. we looked over the course of his life and he did enough good acts so he sure. warrants getting a lawyer. It's just like no, because he's a human. Period. You have certain, you know, God-given rights. You and I would say, right? Um, and, right. and so, so it's interesting that's. And by the way, let me just cover myself in case some Protestants out there are object. Even if you want to say no, some people are better than others because some are saved and some are damned in your framework. Okay, but that's still sure. not by their own merit. Even according to them, they would right, say right, under God pre- just Calvinist you know, for his own. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so right, it's still I, I got it. it's still not like what Dave Smith and Michael Malice mean when they say, yeah, some people clearly are better than others. What are you talking about? And you know, we're right wingers and we acknowledge that. Right. Um, and it also goes both sorry, ways mm-hmm. too. Let me let me just jump mm-hmm. in on that. Even like the the terrible injustice that happened to George Floyd as someone who's maybe of lesser means, you know, I don't know his exact economic situation, but if that were some rich guy or whatever, uh, if that were Bill Gates, God forbid, or whoever that got, you know, pulled out of his car and that happened, whatever it was that happened. But if that occurred, it would also be an injustice, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's that level of equality. It's not just for, well, this is an underrepresented group or this is an oppressed or marginalized group. It doesn't matter if they're marginalized or not. It's literally, what are the facts before the law? And that's, yeah. I think that's what you and I, it sounds like, would agree on. That's yeah. that's true equality. It goes both ways. <laughs> on that, I remember I saw a headline several months ago saying, like, you know, men are more likely to die from coronavirus, and this is really hitting their widows hard, or something like that. Like, like, like the story was these poor women <laughs> yeah. who have to deal with their husbands dying. <laughs> Right. Like, well, no, wouldn't right. it, if it were the other way around, I'm pretty sure they would say it's hitting the, you know, that's kind of funny. Because men are more prone to not wear masks. You know, I'm sure they could turn it, <laughs> turn it around and vilify them somehow. Um, let's see. What, the other irony too, with all that stuff is um, on the, even though ostensibly, you know, a, a standard leftist, and I don't mean left libertarian, but just in general, someone from the left mm-hmm. would yeah. probably say, oh, we believe in equality, whereas you people on the right, you know, you're bigots. But, but in practice, in terms of, like you're saying, like, oh, there's 
there's a, a procedural hearing to see, you know, is, is some, like you say, like did something unjust happen here? You and I wouldn't care about the racial identity of the individual. We would just right. say, no, they're, they're in a period. So there's a sense in which actually we are much more for equality in certain circumstances, whereas they would say, right. uh, you know, oh, did this person cheat or whatever? Well, it, it, you know, like someone cheats on the SAT to get into college or something. I think a lot on the left, it would, you know, if if it were coming from a disadvantaged group, they'd say, well, they kind of, let's let's excuse that because look at their background. That's what they had to do to get into the college to, to beat this system. You know what I mean? They it, it, they wouldn't treat people the same. It would depend on, you know, the rules would vary depending on their skin color or whatever. Sure. Yeah, and I look at uh, the recent examples of uh, police brutality, which I try to look at, you know, with, on a case-by-case basis, looking at all the facts and whatnot. But I think it was Eric July, I want to credit him for saying this. You know, what it's more fundamentally about, it's about the statism, not necessarily the racism. To prove the racism or whatnot, um, you really have to go much farther out on a limb, you know, and you've got to go prove intent and all this stuff. Why don't we just... Why don't we strip it down, kind of like what you were talking to? At a very basic level, we're all equal. Um, all human beings are supposed to be equal before the law. And that maybe what happened to Breonna Taylor getting shot in her own home, for example, um, we might oppose that because she's a human being. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's African-American or mm-hmm. what was her job or did she have an ex-boyfriend who was, you know, allegedly a drug trafficker or what. That That might be true, you know, all the drug stuff. But at the end of the day being unarmed and shot in your home at 1245 at night is not good no matter what color you are, no matter what your background is. Right. That's true equality in my Mm -hmm. mind, Um, equality of all human beings before the law. Right. And I had um, this guy, Adrian Lee Oliver on, uh, Greg, and I'll put that folks in case you missed that one. He he was making, I mean, I've, a lot of people have made this point too, but saying that it's uh, in in his experience. So he is a, a black guy who directly experienced you know, police brutality um, directed okay. to him. So he knows what he's talking about. He, his point was he's saying, no, the police, like they'll, they'll beat up people in, you know, like trailer park community, white people in trailer park, you know, it's more of a power imbalance. Sure. That it's, you know, it, it's not a matter of all the police are racist, that police can abuse their power when they can get away with it. And that's right. Statistically that might, you know, disproportionately impact certain communities. Yeah. yeah. Too often, too often we funded all this militarization of the police and whatnot um, and, and I know this is where a lot of a lot of law and order conservatives, you know, have maybe good intentions and they want the police protected. Well, OK, at the end of the day, we have summer 2020 to contend with. So the police have been militarized with all this gear, all this funding and whatnot, all this military surplus equipment for, I don't know, 10, 20 years, decades. So what mm-hmm. happens then the first time they really need to use all of that equipment on a mass scale? We see cities burned down by modern Jacobins and nut jobs with purple hair, trashing cities, um, assaulting innocent people. um, And that infuriates people, particularly I've seen right-wingers come out and a lot of right libertarians saying, no, this is not okay. I don't want to see this, oh, you know, the riots are the language of the oppressed or the unheard. What's happening is targeting private property. It's terrorizing innocent civilians and whatnot. And all this was going on in summer of 2020. Seattle, Minneapolis, Portland, and on and on and on, all the major cities practically in the United States. Where was all this military surplus equipment? What was it used for? If not the summer of 2020, what's it for? That's what a lot of people want to know, civil libertarians and folks on the right and left, I hope, um, would be saying, you know what? Why don't you give it back to the military? Why don't we sell it on the private market? Because you don't need to have it. If you can't protect 
Yeah. And like David Dorn in that tragic video that many of us, many of us have seen or a, a target or someone's uh, individual shop. If you can't stop fires in the streets and murder and mayhem, well, then you know what? I don't know what you have all this military gear for. Give it back. You know, what's it there for? At least they could sell it to warlords in Somalia. Get some yeah, money from it. I mean, that. come yeah, on. Gee. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I, had, I hadn't heard that that point. That's, that's a good one, Greg, that, yeah, what, what are they, when, if not then, when would they use it? Um, if I could keep you just for a little bit more here, this last topic sure. I wanted to bring up was this issue of thick versus thin libertarianism. Sure. So uh, let me just read a little bit of your article and then have you comment. So you say, yeah. in many instances, the line between left libertarians and right libertarians roughly approximates the delineation between thick and thin libertarianism. Thin libertarians merely believe in the NAP. Again, folks, that's the non-aggression principle the inviolability of private property and the illegitimacy of state violence. Under subsidiary principles, any government that is allowed to exist has its relatively small, distinct sphere of influence and it must not intrude upon local communities and especially not the family. Thick libertarians usually go much further though. As Lou Rockwell has argued, and so now you're quoting, this is Lou Rockwell, and I'll just read a few of his lines and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Proponents of a thick libertarianism suggest that libertarians are bound to defend something more than the non-aggression principle and that libertarianism involves commitments beyond just this. One such proponent recently said, I continue to have trouble believing that the libertarian philosophy is concerned only with the proper and improper uses of force. Okay, so, uh, and I guess just one last comment coming from me now is, I, yeah, I've seen just so the listener, in case they haven't heard these terms, some people, and they tend to be left libertarians, will say things like, it's not enough just to be for the non-aggression principle or against the initiation of force and fraud. You know, to really be a full-fledged proponent of liberty, you also have to be very much against racism or, you know, things along those lines so that, you know, there's other things that are connected to it. And that's the sort of thing that the, the so-called thin libertarians are recoiling against. Like, no, libertarianism is the non-aggression principle, period. Sure. And I think I think uh, Lou Rockwell um, is the, the biggest proponent of the thinnest libertarianism. Hoppe mm -hmm. also as well, um, from, from what I understand out of reading Hoppe, I think he also is very open to um, cultural traditionalism, which I'm open to that as well. But I think when we strip things down, I go with the Rockwellian kind of definition where the thin is just really minimizing or abolishing any kind of state violence and um, abiding by the non-aggression principle. And of course, I'm, I'm a propertarian, so I strongly believe in um, absolutely inviolable property rights, um, just as a, as a sine qua non uh, there. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens too is we get these social movements that get infused and picked up and absorbed into libertarianism. Like, so, say, uh, of the past 12 years, gay marriage nationally, which, of course, should be a local or state-by-state -state issue. It's turned into a national thing with the uh, Supreme Court decision and whatnot. But when you talk to a lot of uh, libertarians, and perhaps some, I might have heard some of maybe the Reason crowd, uh, Reason Magazine, and, and some others whom I have a lot of respect for, but when, when people say, well, of course we have to be for gay marriage. I mean, how could, how could the state discriminate against gay people? Well, I think a lot of people who are thin libertarians would say, whoa, 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 put on the brakes there. When did we as libertarians start saying that the state should have any role in marriage licenses? And you want to talk about going back to the progressive era or scientism. There are all sorts mm -hmm. of creepy reasons that there are marriage licenses. Um, 
So that's a whole other topic, licenses and, and what have you. But when we say things like that, you know, get into topics like gay marriage or when we get into these kind of social justice or racial justice issues, if we make them about more than just property rights or non-aggression, um, then you get into some really dicey territory. And almost by definition, uh, Bob, they're calling in a spot or a role for the state as the referee. When you get beyond just that, okay, these are contract rights, these are property rights, I don't want my body violated, um, I don't want my store burned down. Again, when you get beyond that, you're getting into some some places where there has to be positive law. There's got to be this role for a state to intervene and, like I say, be the referee um, or the ultimate arbiter of what is good and what's not good. And then Mm -hmm. as a constitutionalist, as a constitutional minarchist, then I see the perversion of our Jeffersonian Republic, you know, and we have the, the Supreme Court essentially making law. Um, and that's, that's an interesting and a very important topic as well, at least for, for minarchists from that point of view, when we talk about the Constitution. Okay, so here's my, the, the tension I see, or, or just the, the issue I'm having when I was wrestling with these things. And again, that's why I said this is one of the things when your article hit the thick versus thin, because you know, I've I've read the thick versus thin debates, and I'm definitely on the side of the thin libertarians, and I totally get it there. And then I also, for the people saying, no, let's not kid ourselves. There really is a left-right divide, even among self-identified libertarians. And I'm on the side of the people who think that that is a useful dichotomy, and I happen to be on the right as well, so I identify with them. But are we contradicting ourselves? That's what I'm saying. Like, on the one hand, doesn't it at least superficially sound like we're saying... No, libertarianism, it's just the NIP, period. Don't try to link a bunch of other stuff to it. But then in a different conversation, it's like, oh, it's not enough just to be against the non-aggression principle. You also have to know people have natural rights, that they're not perfectible, that you know there is a God, you got to support the family. If you don't have those other things too, your, your so-called libertarian poly is going to fall apart if you just think it's all about drug use and you know getting to, uh, you know polygamy and whatever. So do, oh, do you sure. see how there at least it seems like we're thick on our issues? Sure. Or, or couldn't a yeah. critic say that? And this is where we have to have the distinction, I think, Bob, between libertarianism as the overarching kind of umbrella mm-hmm. philosophy and then individual libertarians or right-wingers or left-wingers, you know, being kind of on the right or on the left, um, right? There's this, there's definitely that distinction. Um, and at the base level, if you're a thin libertarian, you're saying you can have any personal views you want to. Um, you can be culturally conservative, as I, I think both you and I probably are. We would agree on things. Mm-hmm. You can be uh, culturally more permissive or whatnot, maybe more on the liberal end of things culturally. But at the end of the day, if we're looking at thin libertarianism, it's a very limited philosophy, and it's just about the non-aggression principle and limiting or um, abolishing the role of the state in, in life. And that, that entails – then the question is really, okay, then what fills the void? Because human societies are going, humans are going to mingle together. Humans are always acting, choosing, interacting with one another. How do we build the civil society there? And that's a fascinating question too with anarcho-capitalism. Who is in your anarcho-capitalist community? Who do you bring in there? Um, And as I said, that's a great topic. Um, But one of the questions is, you know, one of the things we've been discussing is where do these principles come from? Where do rights come from? So it's a great discussion that we're having, you know, uh, mentioning some of the kind of philosophy behind it or political philosophy, but I think it's not necessary. So I'd say it's really helpful to know where the ideas come from, but you can still be a thin libertarian and have no idea how you defend those ideas or the etymology and the genealogy of 
ideas, if you see what I'm saying. I think mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm working my way through being, trying to be intellectually consistent and understand where all the principles I believe in come from. Um, but it's it's totally fine to just be a flat out thin libertarian and not really trace it back to, okay, what are the, what are the nature of rights? Um, why are all human beings equal? conditions. Um, what is the role of civil society versus uh, the government, you know, or the, the general will, the body politic and whatnot? Um, so I think what you and I are having a great discussion on is just understanding these principles and then being intellectually consistent um, instead of infusing and making a requirement that you've got to do X, Y and Z to be a good right libertarian, you know, with the trademark mm-hmm. symbol or whatnot. I, I think it's just fascinating and important to understand where these ideas um, take their root. How do you feel? I'm, as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm wondering if it's really nothing deeper than, yes, on the one hand, there's more to life than just the non-aggression principle, or as we said earlier, there's a lot more than just libertarianism as a political philosophy and a society. If you tell me, oh, there's a society of 10 million people and they're all libertarian, that's not enough information. In fact, that's going to make me think, <laughs> I don't know that I want to live yeah. there if it's today's libertarians. It's probably right? too big, according to Montesquieu <laughs> and Jefferson. But so, so that's not enough. That That's, like you say, necessary but not sufficient for a vibrant free society. Sure. Um, but, but, I, but on the other hand, in terms of the thin versus thick libertarianism debate, I think the, the objection from the thin libertarians was more – so in other words, if somebody says, oh, uh, it's not enough just to be libertarian – to be against the non-aggression principle, you also have to be, you know, anti-racist. You have to be, you know, you have to really want to go out and, and help, pe- you know, people in the inner city or what whatnot. And and uh, I, if you if you worry about the rights of shareholders or something, then you know that's the, the objection is not to say, oh, you can't talk about other things if you're going to be a libertarian. The objection is just to say you're misusing the term libertarian. In other words, you're people are not right. going to understand what the philosophy is if you're saying if you're using the term libertarian to, by definition, include the stuff you happen to think is important, that then no one knows what the word means anymore. Sure. So let's, right. so they're more just protecting the integrity of the terminology, I, I think, is like what like Lou Rockwell and Hoppe and, and so on are, are doing in the thick versus thin debates. Sure. And, and I think a lot of times, too, there's confusion because there's that, that label, a lot of times self-appointed of libertarian. But I'd argue that it's really helpful to have a modifier or an adjective there. Um, mm. And oftentimes libertarians, too, this is why, in my view, in my analysis, they're so ill-equipped to handle many cultural issues, Bob. Like, you see, I enjoy watching Tucker Carlson, right? No libertarian at all. Um, I don't agree with many or, or any of his economic views. Um, mm-hmm. I probably line up more with his uh, commentary and analysis of the culture, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But when he, when he rails against you know, China and, of course, big tech and, and whatnot, I agree. I, I fundamentally agree. However, there's a difference between you know, my thoughts of what does the government do? How do we apply law or treaties and tariffs and coercion on um, these other these big tech companies or or other countries, you know, Chinese firms or Huawei or this or that? Obviously, Google, YouTube, Facebook, there are big problems. Many times when libertarians try to take this third stool or centrist position, they have absolutely no way to explain why is Google a problem. And if someone right. sits there today in 2020 and says Google and YouTube and Facebook what they're doing with the election and everything across the board, storing all your information, cooperating with foreign governments like China. If a libertarian says, not my problem, you know, I can't, we can't enforce laws or we can't do this or that. 
I think some of Tucker Carlson's um, critique maybe would be would be well merited at a certain point. I think libertarians are going to need to come up with answers to that. These are big problems. Now, we can say that the answer doesn't need to come from coercive government action um, or authoritarian government action. But this is what I'm saying. As individual libertarians, right. we need to decide how are we going to deal with this problem? And so libertarianism is very much overarching. But you get down to day-to-day life and problems in, in life, cultural problems. Google is a problem. You deal with that without, without enabling a massive authoritarian dictatorial government. Um, but still, there's a question that needs to be answered there. And I think people like Tucker Carlson and some of the, some of the national conservatives um, who are very you know, kind of anti-libertarian, I think they raise important questions. They're having good discussions. And they're right in some of their critiques of libertarians to say, this is like tone deaf. There's like no response right. to this. Right. You know, I agree with you totally on that stuff. Um, in particular, it's really annoying. And, and Tom Woods complains about this all the time where he'll, you know, complain about, oh, Twitter or Facebook or just deplatform or YouTube, just deplatform someone and look at how tame the guy's views were. This is crazy. Meanwhile, they let, you know, this person over here talk about cutting off Trump's head or whatever, or wishing all men were dead. And that's fine. And then the left libertarians will needle Tom and be like, oh, but it's a private business, Tom. They can't they do whatever they want? Right. You know, and, and right. Tom's point is like, I can go and eat at a restaurant and leave a negative review that's not anti-libertarian. What are you talking about? Right. You know, so right. We're, we can be against what Google does um, and, and their creepy censorship and all the evil that they do. We can totally be against that without saying, yeah, so I want some giant government to come down and crush them. You know, there, mm-hmm. there is a middle ground. I think it's not middle ground, but I think that these ideas that are not discussed should be discussed mm-hmm. more by people in the liberty movement because there are yeah. real problems in life that maybe mm-hmm. libertarianism itself cannot solve. Civil right. society has to step in or churches, yeah. small communities. Mm-hmm. Subsidiarity is very important. And I love some of what Jeff Deist and the Mises Institute people say. I fully agree with decentralizing power, um, localizing and privatizing things because that's mm-hmm. how we retain more control over our daily lives. Yeah, and ironically, what we were just talking about there, it kind of goes back to, you know, what I was trying to put my finger on, what's the difference between people on the right and the left, like procedural procedural fairness versus outcome-based, that for us, like, you know, for like a Tom Woods or somebody or you or me to to complain about Google's doing something that we, we don't think is is right, it didn't even occur to us to clarify. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, you know, Mitch McConnell can come in and, and order a commission and oversee them and, and second get, whereas to people on the left... Right. Since that kind of, you know what I mean? In their world, sure. brushing with a broad stroke here. Yeah, when you see an injustice, boom, just look boom. around. Is there any any authority that has the, the enough guns to fix that? Well, then go do that. that well, yeah, of course right. you would, you know. <laughs> so right. they assume exactly. that's what we mean when in our mind is like, no, just because we don't like something doesn't mean we're therefore calling for the power of the state to come down on it. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, it goes back to that rule-based utilitarianism or deontological libertarianism, basically just saying, and I think you and I would ascribe the ultimate um, source to, um, to God or whatnot, but there's mm-hmm. got to be rules that come down, whatever those right. rules are. And as you're saying, we need it's that, it's that abiding by these social or societal rules that's very important. Instead of skipping those rules for a pragmatic kind of end result, you know, just getting right to the end without worrying about, don't worry about the means because we're going to, this revolution is going to happen or this action is going to happen no matter what, what happens, no matter how many eggs we crack in the meantime to make this omelet. Right, right. Okay, well, that's a good point to stop. Um, folks, my guest has been Gregory Gordon. Uh, thanks, Greg, for the interesting discussion. 
Yeah, it's been great. Uh, really appreciate it, uh, Bob. Thank you for having me. And the last thing, folks, remember, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash 159 for the links of everything we talked about. And we'll see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.